Have you ever um, started a new project or work or were part of a project and you thought, I have no idea how I would even start this thing, um, let alone how I will ever finish with this project? It seems too big for me, too complicated, too many uncertainties. I have no resources, a bit like this morning, maybe. <laughs> and there is too much responsibility. Um, I don't even have the means or the authority to change any of these things. Have you ever felt this way? Because, you see, that's what Zerubbabel felt, um, must have felt like in Hagaristan. And we will see why in a minute, because... Um, before that, let's think about that situation. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be great in, in a situation like that, that if you get a glimpse of the future and you would know that everything will turn out well? Because that's exactly what um, God was doing for Zerubbabel in this last message. It's, it's a message of assurance. And um, because through the last words of Haggai, God gives Zerubbabel this glimpse of a future. And he assures them that no matter what's going to happen, he can trust in God. And um, he gives him that assurance that everything will turn out well. So today we'll be looking at three points. First, why did Zerubbabel need that extra assurance, that extra message? And then we look at how God will give that assurance in two ways. First, through his justice and protection, and then through his faithfulness. So first point then, why, why did Zerubbabel need that extra assurance? Haven't we, ha, hasn't he heard three messages of God just before? And haven't we heard the same three messages the last three weeks? Um, let me remind you of them. They were really a mixture of rebuke and encouragement. Um, in the first message, we saw how God called to repentance to get our priorities right. In the second message, we have heard how how he can give us encouragement to not lose the focus, but to look at his glory in the present, in the past, and in the future. And the third message from last week, we have seen that God doesn't want us to just do his work out of blind obedience. No, he wants us to do it with a pure heart and with faith in him. And even though this third message from last week was a bit of a rebuke, um, it ended with an encouragement at the end. Do you remember that uh, in verse 19 you can see it? But from this day on, God said, I will bless you. Now, today's prophecy, um, the final message of Haggai to Zerubbabel, comes later on that same day. So he just heard that God said, I will bless you. And these people, you know, they, they were concerned about the harvest, the crops and the outcome and so on. And God said, I will bless you. But Zerubbabel, he was their leader. And um, he had bigger concerns in his mind, the bigger picture, the nation of Israel. And he was appointed governor over Judah, the leader of these people. But he was a leader without power because he was like a puppet king. And you, you know, when we talk about Jerusalem and Judah in 520 BC, we have to keep in mind they had no um, political power whatsoever. They were still under the Persian occupation, under this pagan king, Darius. And the nations around them, they were just pressing in on Judah. Like the Samaritans, they didn't like the Jews. 
Now they persecuted the Jews and made accusations against them to Darius, the king. And there was this constant threat that they would attack them, that they would be attacked by the surrounding nations. And But you see, Zerubbabel, he didn't even have um, an army to protect his people. And the city was Jerusalem. It was almost empty. There were only a few people living there. And we read that in Ezra. It was only the remnant that came back from exile. So even if Zerubbabel wanted to form an army, he probably didn't have enough people to do that. And on top of all that, he's just the governor. He's, he's, not, he's not a king. He's, he's like a puppet. You know, he couldn't move unless Darius allowed the strings in the background to move. So he has no authority. And how can you be a good leader without authority, without power, without the ability to protect your people? You see, Zerubbabel was forced to act out of a position of weakness. And with all this in mind, he started to have doubts and thinking about how can I trust God that he will indeed bless this nation? Not just in terms of food or the temple, as we heard, but that he will make them into a great nation. Didn't God say that before? Didn't he, didn't he say to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation? Well, we read in in Genesis 15, we read, God took Abraham outside and said to him, look up to the sky and count the scars if you indeed can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. But Zerubbabel, he looked at his people, this nation, which was only a remnant, only these few people, and with all these enemies pressing in from every side, he couldn't see that promise anymore. He looked at himself and he just saw an unfit and weak leader. So how could he trust in God? How could he have any assurance? These were the concerns, the doubts, the questions that kept this man up at night. So he was troubled in his mind. And in that very moment, in this moment of weakness and doubts, Haggai comes again. He comes again a second time on this day. And he says to Zerubbabel, I have one last message for you from God. And listen to this. God says to Haggai in verse 21, Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. Here God gives Zerubbabel a glimpse of the future. And with this message comes assurance. Assurance of protection for God's people on the one hand, but also assurance that God will bring justice to the nations on the other hand. And this really brings us to our second point, God's justice and protection. But you you might say, hold hold on for a minute. I was listening to you and haven't we heard this message two weeks ago? Haven't we heard very similar words in chapter 2, verses 6 to 7? Yes, you're right. Let me read it to you again. In a little while, I once more will shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake them all the nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. It's similar, yes. The image of the shaking of heaven and earth, but it's also different. Because God isn't just repeating himself, no. This time, this message is not a positive message for the nations. It's not like before, he's not 
about the, it's not about bringing the people in. Now have a look at verse 22. This time, this message is about shaking the nations out of the world. It's, it's a message of God's protection for Israel on the one hand, but it's also God bringing justice to their enemies on the other hand, and it's, it's, it's how he will crush them through his righteous anger. He says, I will overthrow royal thrones, shatter the powers of foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. That's what God says. These are images of destruction, a shaking of the political order, superpowers overthrown. The whole world feels like it's shaken by God. And um, these images, they were very familiar to Zerubbabel. Because they come up again and again in the Old Testament. It's a reminder that God will protect his people in the, that God protected his people in the past and that he will do it again in the future. These echoes of the Old Testament are an assurance because they show us as well that God doesn't change. Do you remember how God led his people out of Egypt? How they were followed by Pharaoh's armies? They were right behind them, these chariots, these riders, these horses. That's the same image. But God crushed these enemies with the waters of the Red Sea. God was shaking the heaven and the earth. He's the one who rules over creation. The one who commands the wind and the sea. This very God, this almighty God, he protects his people. He fights for them. He destroys Pharaoh's army. His riders and his chariots, they all go down and they are killed. That's why it says in Psalm 20, some of, some, some trust in chariots and in horses, but we, we trust in the name of our Lord, our God. This message is a message that shows us that God is invincible. He's the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. No army will ever stand against Him. And there's another echo from the Old Testament, because it says, their riders will fall each by the sword of his brother. This reminds Zerubbabel and us of whom? Of Gideon in the book of Judges. You know how Gideon had this huge army, 32,000 men willing to fight? But God commanded him to do what? He said, reduce this army. And he said that twice. So Gideon ended up with 300 men. Only 300 men against the valley of armies from the Midianites. But what happened? Even these 300 men didn't have to fight, right? Because what did God do? After they blew the trumpet, it says, The Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. Do you see how these images are past echoes in our passage? Um, of God who protects his people, but who's also fighting for them. These are the same images in our passage. And you see, the past actually becomes a prophet for the future. Because God doesn't change. God is still faithful. God is still just. God is still the same God. He will protect his remnant of Israel. He's both the just judge for the nations, but he's also the protector of his people. And this brings assurance to and hope to Zerubbabel. Because who can be against him if God is for him? God says to Zerubbabel, I'm with you on this temple project, yes. And I will bless the harvest, yes. But I will also fight for you. I will destroy all your enemies in the future. 
So don't you worry. Don't be afraid. Be strong, for I will bless you. Now, some of you might say, that might be a strong assurance for Zerubbabel, but from our perspective, how does it apply to us? And isn't it a bit cruel to kill all these people, to kill whole nations? Is that just? Well, what's on display in our passage is in fact God's justice and his mercy. These two things, they always go together. You can't have a loving God who is not just. And you can't have a just God who is not loving. They go together. And you know all these people in recent years who are running around the streets protesting and crying out for justice, for this and for that, the so-called social justice warriors, who also like to take on things on their own, you know, they don't really know what they're talking about. They don't really know what justice is. It's definitely not biblical justice that they are talking about. They misuse the term justice because, first of all, it's God who brings justice. It's not us. Real justice comes from God. And that's why in our passage you will see that God is the one who is acting. He's the one who is sovereign in all circumstances. Seven times in only four verses, he's the acting subject. Do you see that? He says, I will, I will, I will, I will. Not you will. The people and Zerubbabel, they are totally passive in our passage. They are only called to trust in God. To trust in God's character that he will show mercy to them and bring justice to their enemies. But you know, if God would give us justice, all of us, if he would give us justice right now, we all would be in hell right now. Because that's the justice we deserve for sinning against a holy God. And we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So don't cry out for justice for yourselves. What we need to do is we need to cry out for mercy. For God's mercy and grace to save us from our sins. And to save us through Jesus Christ our Lord. But still... Even God's justice can give us assurance. In the same way it gave assurance to Zerubbabel, because think about it. What do you tell persecuted churches in China, in Africa, in Iran, in Afghanistan? What do you tell these people, those people, those Christians who see injustice every day? Pastors in prison who see their brothers and sisters being killed on the streets. Christians who have to act out of a position of weakness. What do you tell them? What gives them assurance? Well, I tell you what it is. I tell you what gives them assurance. It's a God who is just. A God who hates sin. A God who cares about them and who will one day destroy all his enemies and get rid of all evil. A God who one day will shake the heavens and the earth once more when Jesus will return. That's what gives them assurance and hope. Passages like Revelation 19, 11 to 13. Listen to this. This is where John describes the return of Jesus. I saw the heaven standing open, 
And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, there we have it, with justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. His name is written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. Is that the Jesus that you are waiting for? Is that the Jesus who is in your minds when you think about the second coming? The Jesus who is loving and just? The Jesus who will fight for us? The Jesus who will bring final justice and who will destroy all the enemies of God? You see, if we feel uncomfortable with this truth of God's justice, it's probably because we are still too comfortable here in Australia. It's probably because we haven't experienced real persecution yet. And we are not acting out of a position of weakness. Like our brothers and sisters around the world. But don't worry, that will change soon. And again, the past becomes a prophet for the future. Because what do we see in the past? We see that Christians have always been persecuted. And they didn't live a comfortable life. No, they didn't. But we are just living in a time that's very unusual. But even we see more and more signs where Australia is heading, right? You just have to look at Victoria, the the laws that they pass, or the overall atmosphere in Australia, which becomes more and more anti-Christian. But you know what? That shouldn't shake us at all. Because we have a God whose kingdom is unshakable. And we have a God who is sovereign over all this He's the one who will shake the heavens and the earth. And he is just and loving. And he will protect his people and one day he will get rid of all evil. And so we can find comfort and assurance too in God's justice. So we have looked at why Zerubbabel needed this second message. And we have seen how God gives assurance through his justice and protection. And this brings us to our last part for today. A second way how God will give it um, assurance, through his faithfulness. You know, God's enemies were only one thing that Zerubbabel had in his mind. But there was one other question that was bothering him all the time. It's, it's about a promise, a very old promise that God gave to his people. It's a promise about a king, but not just any king. It's a promise about a perfect king, a Messiah figure which would deliver God's people and establish his everlasting kingdom. It's a promise that Zerubbabel and his people were telling their kids about. It's ingrained in their DNA. It's a promise that goes like a red line through the Old Testament. The promise of the serpent crusher in Genesis 3 and the promise that God gave to Abraham and later to David, that promise about an offspring that will come, a king with an everlasting kingdom. A perfect king. And um, so now 500 years later, after David, there stands Zerubbabel in Jerusalem, building another, a second temple for God. But there was no king. And Zerubbabel was just this puppet under Darius, without authority. So Zerubbabel thought, how, how would God ever continue this promise of the past? But look at what he says to him in this very moment through Haggai in the last words of him in verse 23. 
On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. You see what God is doing here? God tells Zerubbabel, you're my servant. You ought to work for me. No, I have chosen you. I will make you like my signet ring. Well, the signet ring is, is, is like a signature, right? Like, like a seal of a king showing the king's authority. You might know this from the movies when the king is writing a letter. Then he, he takes some wax and he melts it and he lets it dribble on the letter and then, uh, to seal it. And then finally he takes his signet ring and he pushes it and presses it against the wax and it becomes like a sign, like a stamp, like a seal to this letter. And it's unmistakable to everyone that this letter comes directly from the king. It's a sign of authority. So here God gives Zerubbabel authority from on high, from God Almighty himself, saying, you're not longer under Darius, the pagan king, God says. No, you are mine. I have chosen you. And by the way, Darius is not even mentioned in verse 20 in the day. Did you realize that? Now, this passage is all about God and his chosen instrument. And by extension, it's about his chosen people, about his children. That includes us. But what about that red line, you might ask? This ancient promise. Is Zerubbabel the perfect king? Is Haggai's prophecy fulfilled in Zerubbabel? Well, sort of yes and no. Because have a look at verse 23 again. Notice how it says, I will make you like my signet ring. It literally says, I will make you like the signet ring. So why is it like, why is that like there in the sentence? Why is it not just Zerubbabel the signet ring? Why is it, why is Zerubbabel just like the signet ring? Well, it's because Zerubbabel wasn't a king and he wasn't a perfect king. In fact, as far as we know, he never became a king either. Because after this prophecy, the only time we hear about him is in the book of Zechariah a couple of times. But after that, he just vanishes. He vanishes. Until, well, until you hit the first page of your New Testament. And I want you to see this in your own Bibles. Take a look. Have a look at your first page of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1. What What does it say? What do you read in this long genealogy? Let me read to you Matthew chapter 1, 12 to 13. It says there, And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abidud, and so it goes on. And where does this genealogy end? Which And this genealogy, by the way, comes all the way from David and Abraham. You see that up on the front. But where does it end? Well, we see it in verse 16, don't we? It ends with Jesus. So you see, Zerubbabel was a direct descendant of David. And out of this line comes Jesus, the Messiah. So God is indeed faithful to his promise. He tells Zerubbabel, I will renew this Davidic promise to you. And your offspring in the future, out of your loins, will come the Messiah. And again, what an assurance that must have been for Zerubbabel and his people to see God's faithfulness.
to hear that this red line, this promise that goes all the way through the Old Testament is not cut off, but that it is renewed. That they could look forward to the coming of the Messiah, the one who would save his people, to see God's faithfulness. But how much more must this be an assurance for us? To see God's faithfulness. That we can trust in him. We just have to turn to the first page in our Bibles in the New Testament and we see the fulfillment of this ancient prophecy. We see that it finds its final fulfillment in Christ. We see that Jesus is the perfect king. He's the king that David, Solomon, Zerubbabel, all the other ones couldn't be. But they point forward to him. He's not just like the signet ring. In Haggai verse 23, no, he is the perfect king. He is the signet ring. He doesn't just have some authority. Now what does Christ say in Matthew 28? All authority has been given to me on heaven, in heaven and on earth. Because, and we heard it today in Philippians as well, right? And when he will return, every knee will bow to him. Because he's the king of kings, the lord of lords. And you see, everything in the Old Testament is pointing to Christ. Jesus is there on the first page of your Bible, and he's also there on the last page of your Bible. Jesus is there when God speaks the universe into existence, when he says, let there be light. What does he do? He uses God's word. He uses God's word as an instrument, his signet ring of authority. And Jesus is there in Genesis 3. He is the one who will crush the serpent's head. And Jesus is there right in the middle of history at point zero, at year zero. He's there where your calendar splits, right? He's there in the major and he's walking to the cross to defeat the devil and sin and lead you to repentance and faith, to peace with God through his life, death and resurrection. And yes, Jesus is also there on the last page of your Bibles because he's the one who said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And then he says, surely I'm coming soon. So what an assurance and what, what a hope we have. We can see God's faithfulness everywhere. It doesn't matter which way we look. We can look into the past, the present, the future. God hasn't changed. He is faithful. And we see it in Christ who is on every page of our Bibles. So whenever you are in a situation like Zerubbabel, with doubts about the future, remember what you're holding in your hands right here. It's the very word of God. And he speaks to us through it. And Jesus promised to come back to bring final justice, to usher us into his eternal kingdom. And in this word, he also promised that Everything will turn out for good for those who love him and who are called according to God's purpose. And this promise, this Bible, is sealed by God himself. It's sealed by his signet ring. It's sealed by Christ's blood. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much that we have your word, that we have truth holding in our, that we can hold it in our hands, that we have it at our fingertips, Father. We pray we would make more use of it. And Father, 
We pray that you keep and continue to assure us through your word, through Christ, through what we can see in the past, present, and future. And Father, I pray for this church. Bless this church. As you said to Zerubbabel and the people back then, bless them. Bless them in numerically, but also bless them spiritually to grow in Christ and in unity together. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.